Will you turn your Bible to John, the third chapter, please? I appreciate what our men have been doing in the last few days in working here at the church. We had a good group yesterday and Friday doing various things, and I'm so grateful. The, the rain interfered somewhat with the blacktopping and the ceiling, but uh, ceiling of the parking area, but we'll get that done later. And to those of you who missed out on coming, you missed a great blessing. It is always a joy and a blessing to serve the Lord. And uh, I'm sure you'll want to get in on it next time we do this. We're thankful for all the wonderful work that has been done. John chapter 3, beginning with verse 22. John 3, 22. May we pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the glorious gift that God has given us in Jesus Christ. And we want to give you the glory and the honor. And today we would ask that that glory would be brought back. Glory to the Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said of the men born of women, none is greater than John the Baptist. And this passage deals with John. After these things came Jesus and his disciples to the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing in Anon near to Salem, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond the Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who standeth and heareth him rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Would you read verse 30 with me? He must increase, but I must decrease. Now will you say that without looking? He must increase, but I must decrease. I believe that's the key to revival. That's the key to bringing back the glory, bringing back the glory to His house, the house of God, bringing back the glory to His temple, our bodies, the temple of the Holy Ghost, bringing back the glory to our homes, bringing back the glory that belongs only to God, bringing back the glory that comes when a soul says yes to Jesus, bringing back the glory in America. Bring back the glory. Now John was baptizing and Jesus came near where John was baptizing and he and his disciples were giving the word of God and uh, many of them were being baptized 
And John's disciples showed a little humility, humanity rather. They became a little jealous. And they came to John and he said, now, John, this Jesus whom you introduced some time ago, he's here and his disciples and they're baptizing more than we're baptizing. I suppose they thought that would make John upset. He gave a beautiful parable. He said, uh, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. Now, Jesus is the bridegroom. The bride is his church. But the friend of the bridegroom, who standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. In other words, I rejoice that people are following Jesus. That's the reason I came, to introduce people to Jesus, to tell people about Jesus. And now, here they are, following Jesus, the very one I introduced. They're doing what I asked them to do. Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. He must increase, but I must decrease. The early church recognized this, and they were literal flames of fire in the hand of God, a flame with bringing glory to the name of Jesus Christ. What is revival? We sang a while ago, revive us again. Earlier the choir sang, if my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I forgive the, hear, hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, I will heal their land. And that's revival. Somebody has said revival is falling in love with Jesus all over again. Revival is falling in love with Jesus all over again. Billy Graham says what America needs is a revival of love. When Jesus first built the church, its members all fresh in that avowed faith to Christ were literally flames of fire with the message of reconciliation. The first century, the message of Christ was preached throughout the world. They turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. In the book of Psalms, he maketh his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. Paul had this spark when he wrote the words, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. John had this in mind when he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. The church today, the church corporate, the body of Christ, and the local church somewhat stands at a crossroads. We have a message that will, in, will change the whole world. We have a message that will change the city of Bowling Green. We must persuade men while there is yet time. The night comes when there is no one that can work. And with a church on every corner, and with masses of people attending churches, there is no revival. I do not believe that revival comes just from excitement inside the house of God, as important as that is. Revival comes to the individual heart. And when individual hearts genuinely get a flame of fire for God, 
It may be lighted in the church, but it's going to do its burning outside where the people are. And everywhere we go, there will be revival if I am revived. If God puts a smile on my face, a spring in my step, a joy in my soul, if there's real revival within me, then wherever I am, there's going to be a spirit of revival because it's contagious. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid, neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a lampstand where everybody can see it and it will burn brightly. Well, I want to give you a formula for revival, I believe, and that formula is verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. That ought to be the life verse of every one of us. Constantly magnifying Jesus, holding Him up, honoring Him. He must increase, but I must decrease. And I'll give you three reasons for that. Three reasons for revival. Three reasons why the formula for revival is He must increase, I must decrease. First of all, because of the crisis times in which we live. It takes no learned theologian to recognize that we're in a terrible crisis. I talked to a lady yesterday, I didn't even know her. We met on the elevator and we just spoke briefly and she said, this nation is going down the tubes. Well, I don't know whether the nation's going down the tubes or not. We're in trouble. We're in great peril. And individuals, 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 you and me, are the key to turning it around. We're the key to turning it around in our own church, in our home, in our family life, wherever we are. Because of the crisis and times in which we live, pleasure-mad throng spends all on self to satisfy an unquenchable desire for popularity and activity. I can give you a lot of statistics today. I know you hear them often. The awful sin of murdering little babies. It's an awful thing. It's God-awful. And yet we become so accustomed to it, it doesn't really bother us. We hear the statistics. We hear all about it. And we seem powerless to do anything about it. Well, I want to tell you where it begins. It begins in every man and woman who are old enough to have sex. To decide in advance there will not be any until I'm married. And then when God sends a little baby, I'm going to accept that as from God because life comes from God. That's where it starts. And when there's real revival, that will kindle a fire in our hearts to say, I'm not going to play with that procreative activity God has given me. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. A hundred and seventy-one babies killed every hour. Murdered. One million six hundred thousand babies killed every year. Twenty-seven million, twenty-seven million babies killed in nineteen years. 
Someone said 30% of the babies conceived in America are killed before they're ever born. What a tragedy. That wouldn't happen if we would accept the theme, he must increase, but I must decrease. In some United States, States cities, having a Bible study in your home is against the law. Witchcraft rituals that are sexually perverse and bloody are now protected by the law. With kiddie pornography on the rise, one extremist group is calling for the age of sexual consent to be lowered to the age of four. Public tax money is supporting an annual dance festival consistently featuring total nudity. You say, what can we do about it? Well, first of all, it begins in my own life. And then when he increases in my life, he gives me discernment to recognize who I ought to vote for. And when I go to the polls, I exercise that revival that's in my heart at the polls and vote for someone who will go to Washington with some biblical principles. And I want to say this. I know we live in a pluralistic society. There are Mohammedans, there are Confucius, there are many from the Eastern religions, there are folks from all over the world that are coming into America. But listen, they didn't found this nation. God seekers founded it. And it was written into the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution that this nation was founded by God seekers, the Lord God, Elohim, and his son, Jesus Christ. I don't mean to be bigoted. I would die for a Mohammedan's right to practice his religion. He has a right to, but not to so perverse our national and international laws so that we say we're so afraid that anybody will get offended that we're going to kick the Bible out of school. We can't have Bible reading and prayer. We'll have nothing of that. I want to tell you, it begins in our own hearts when you and I would say, he must increase, but I must decrease. I want Christ to be all in all. Why do you think there have been so many Christian martyrs? Those were men who were willing to die for their faith. They were willing to die for their confidence in Christ Jesus. They weren't wishy-washy. He must increase, but I must decrease was their theme. Well, not only the problems of lawlessness in America, it's rampant everywhere, but I think the thing that makes God sick is the indifference in the hearts of God's people. In Revelation chapter 3, listen to these words. To the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works. Thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Indifference, coldness, lukewarmness on the part of God's people. 
Recently, in the press, there's a, an attack made on what they are calling the, quote, religious right, end quote. I don't know what that means. Unless it means that those who know they're right and they happen to be Christians and they take a stand and the majority or a large, a large group of the media are looking down on these people because they say that's where they stand and they're, they're in the way in America. Well, that's where George Washington stood. That's where Abraham Lincoln stood. That's where Roger Williams stood. That's where all the great leaders of this nation stood. And now there's a wave of hysteria that says, oh, they're in our way. We can't trust them. We, even the president and others in authority are saying this. It is time for God's people who know him, who love him, to stand and say yes, very graciously, very kindly, very meekly, and meek is not weak. Here I stand. God being my helper, I can do nothing else. Instead of being wishy-washy and trying to please everybody, you can't do that. One of the chief problems of our chief executive at this time is trying to please everybody. You can't do that. Dr. Lee, dear precious Dr. Robert G. Lee used to say, when I die and I'm lying in a casket, and some preacher gets up there and says, here lies dear old Dr. Lee. He didn't have an enemy in the world. He said, I'm going to kick the casket off, ask God for strength to get up and say, that's a lie. That's a lie. For everybody that stands for something today has some enemies. And beloved, if you're going to have revival in your heart, there's going to be some enemies. They made fun of Billy Sunday. I don't know any of you lived through the era of Billy Sunday. I've talked to my mother and others who heard him preach and how the press ridiculed him for breaking chairs and getting up and stomping on the pulpit. But do you know what happened? He outlawed America. He outlawed liquor in America. And there was a great spirit of revival. There hasn't been a revival since the days of Billy Sunday. There's been great preaching, but nothing that shook cities and towns. I'm just saying the price of revival is for you and me to say with all our hearts, meekly, kindly, graciously, he must increase, but I must decrease. It doesn't matter whether people think I'm popular or not. It doesn't make any difference. I'm not going to purposely rub the grain. I'm not going to purposely try to make mad people mad at me, but I'm going to stand. I thank God for the Christian conscience that stood a few weeks ago at the city commission and said we're against sale of liquor on Sunday. It didn't do any good, but having done all, we stood. That's the thing that counts. I'm sure that the apostle Paul thought, well, it didn't do any good for me to preach like I preached. Look, they're going to kill me tomorrow. And they did. But oh my, the repercussions of Paul's life. So will be with your life. He must increase, but I must decrease because of the terrible crisis times in which we find ourselves. God's people called by his name, lukewarm. 
A Jewish rabbi was speaking in Memphis some years ago. He said, we Jews have denied Christ, but you Christians, by the poor way you live him, have disgraced Christ. Mr. Gandhi, the leader of four million Indians, Indians over in India, he was a cow worshiper. And he said shortly before he died, he said, I think, I think I could have become a Christian. Had I ever known one? What am I saying? Listen, I'm just saying, if we really want spiritual fire and power, you and I have to determine in our hearts, I want him to increase and I want to decrease. And if people love me, wonderful. If people hate me, it's okay. I'm going to stand for the things that honor Christ, the biblical truths. Now, there's another reason he must increase, but I must decrease. That's because of the cost if men are lost. The Bible says in Psalm 19:917, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Sin is inexcusable. So then thou art inexcusable, O man, whoever thou art that sinnest. Romans 1, 20. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's not a just man on earth that doeth good and sinneth not. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord had to lay on Jesus the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53. And in Isaiah 64, 6, all our righteousness are his filthy rags and our iniquity like the wind has, has taken us away. Ladies and gentlemen, the only way people will ever get to heaven is to know Jesus. He's the only way. And there's an awful cost if men are lost, the tragedy of the cost. Throngs of unsaved people are marching on the way down to an eternal destruction, separation from God forever. Arnold Toynbee, the great historian who was lecturing in America some time ago said, of all the great nations that have risen to power and then crumbled and ruined away, America shows the early signs that those nations had. They destroyed, they destroyed themselves from lust, luxury, and liquor. Would you ask God to put a burden on my heart and your heart for hell, about hell? Now, that's not a very popular subject. I don't like to preach about it. This book says hell is real. And those of our friends and loved ones who are lost are going to hell. They're separated for God, from God forever. I've told you this story before. I asked God a number of years ago to help me understand a little bit more about hell. To be concerned and alarmed about folks going to hell. I had been witnessing to an old man in the hospital. Some of his family had called me. He'd had, he'd had a stroke. He was in his 80s. And they asked me if I'd go see him. I went to see him. He, he just looked up at the ceiling. I, I, I assumed that he couldn't talk. He, he never did talk. He couldn't move. He just looked up at the ceiling. Every time I was in there, he did the same thing. And I told him about Jesus and how much God loved him and how we loved him. He just, just looked up at the ceiling. No effect at all. I prayed for him. I went to see him day after day after day. One night before I went to bed, I just said, Lord, 
I'm so concerned about him. Would you just show me how awful it will be if he dies and goes to hell? I went to sleep. During the night, the phone rang. And a nurse at the hospital said, Will Stubblefield is dead. And they've asked you to come to the hospital. I went to the hospital. They said, we've already taken to the funeral home. They want you to come over there. I went over to the funeral home. I stood by that casket where they had placed him. And the funeral director was standing next to me. And I looked down to face the man that I tried to witness to. He was gone. The funeral director left. In a few moments, that, that man began to writhe in pain. His arms twitched and his face moved with pain, writhed in pain. He moved all over. It was terrible. And I called to the undertaker, sir, come in here quick. Something is wrong. And he came in and stood by me. And I, he said, what's wrong, preacher? I said, look at this man. I thought death erased all that pain. He said, oh, preacher, there's some pain that death doesn't erase. And I woke up. It was a dream. It was about three o'clock in the morning. I got up and dressed and went to the hospital. I went up to the room where he was, to the floor where he was, and I said to the nurse, is, is Will Stubblefield still here? She said, yes, he's right in there. I went in there and there he was looking up at the ceiling. I got his hand. I said, Will, God sent me here to talk to you about Jesus. I've talked to you a lot of times before, but tonight I have an urgent message you're going to die and go to hell. And in hell is awful pain and torment forever. Will, I want to tell you again how to be saved. And I'm going to pray that God will break through whatever's problem with you and you'll open your heart to Jesus. I explained again how to be saved. And I said, Will, you don't have to say this out loud, but would you pray with me this prayer? Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. I ask Jesus to come into my heart. I said, now, Will, if you prayed that, I want to ask you to ask God to give you all the strength you can just to squeeze my hand so I can tell your family. And we'll know it before you go because you're going to die soon. Friend, that man whose eyes had been on the ceiling all that time turned his eyes and looked at me and tears began to roll down his cheeks. He squeezed my hand and then he died. I want to tell you, men are going to hell. Women are going to hell. Our loved ones are going to hell. He must increase, but I must decrease so that we can see people saved and come to a knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's the reason we need revival. That's the reason we have this series of meetings scheduled beginning next Sunday. To give us an opportunity to go into the fields and urge people to come to Christ. There's one other reason. And it's the supreme reason. Because of Calvary. Because of Calvary, he must increase, but I must decrease. Come with me to Golgotha. They'd been up all night. They had arrested Jesus in the garden. They took him to Annas and then Caiaphas and then to Herod and then back to Pilate. Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. He tried to wash his hands. You can never wash your hands of the blood of Jesus. And then Pilate said, I deliver him to you to be crucified. And they took Jesus out to the cross. 
out at Golgotha. He carrying his cross went forth to a place called Calvary. They put him on the ground. They nailed those nails in his hands and in his feet. And then they picked that cross up. With a big thud, they put it in the hole. And the flesh of the Son of God tore. And the blood of Jesus that cleanses us from sin came, came down the cross, forming a pool of blood at the foot of the cross. And Jesus looked up into heaven. And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And from the throne of his cross, the king of grief cried out for our relief. And God, for Christ's sake, forgives all who will come to Jesus by the way of the cross. Because of Calvary, I'll live forever. Because of Calvary, my sins are gone. And that's the reason he must increase, but I must decrease. That's the reason we need revival. Back in the days before they had modern medicines like we have today, preacher tells the story about his little boy contracted diphtheria. They said to the preacher, if you want to talk to your boy, you'll have to put on this mask and go in and stand by your little boy and talk to him. So the preacher put on the mask and the gown and he went in and stood by his little boy and the little boy looked up and said, Daddy, why are you dressed like that? Daddy said, Son, you, you're very sick. Daddy don't want to take your germs out to other boys and girls so they get sick too. And the little boy said, Daddy, am I very sick? But Daddy said, Yes, son, you're very sick. That's what the doctor says. After a little while, the little boy looked up and said, Daddy, Am I going to die? The daddy was trapped by his own teaching. He told his son never to tell a lie. He said, son, that's what the doctor says, but you're not afraid to die, are you? And that little boy looked up and said, daddy, if God's like you, I'm not afraid to die. If God's like you, I'm not afraid to die. Now the world is looking for God. They don't know God. But if we will allow Jesus to increase in our lives and we will get out of the way and we'll say, Lord, I want a revival in my own heart. I want to be a revival Christian. I want God to use me. He'll use us. May we bow together in prayer. Our hearts bowed and humbled before God for just a moment. How many of us here would like to say, Lord, Use me, use me in revival. I do want to be a revival kind of Christian. And I want it to be the theme of my life. He must increase, but I must decrease. If you say that to the Lord, just whisper to him right now. If you're here, you're not a Christian. You've never been saved. If you look to Jesus, he'll forgive you and save you right now. Would you do that? Would you just say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart and be my Savior? If you're a Christian, but there's been something between you and the Savior, would you get rid of it this morning?
Say, Lord, I want you to fill me with thyself. Our Father, we ask you to use our lives, the sticks of our lives, as we place them on the altar for you. God, send a revival. Would you remain in prayer just a moment? If there's a burden on your heart for revival, for yourself, for your church, I want to ask you to just get up from where you are and come and kneel here at the altar a moment in prayer. It will not be very long, but if you'd like to say, Lord, use me. I want to be that kind of Christian. Would you just get up and come and kneel here for a moment? We'll have an old-fashioned type of prayer. Just right here praying.